Hey, everyone, we're back with another week of Find Your Film. This is for the week ending October 29th, 2021. As always, we have a very packed show. This is a very eventful show because I'm really excited. When me, Eric Holmes, and Bruce Perky, we started this whole podcasting universe. We started first off with Movie Mainline, and then we just transitioned after several months into what we have this iteration right now with Find Your with the Find Your Film podcast. One of the first impressions I received from co-host Eric Holmes was his unabashed love for Scott Atkins, action star, dramatic actor. If you've seen Avengement, you know he's a dramatic actor. Yeah, Scott Atkins. And then the second thing I learned from Bruce and Eric was the brilliance of Jim Cummings. They kept on hammering about a movie called The Wolf of Snow Hollow or something. And it was just Sleepy Hollow, Snow Hollow, Sleepy Hollow, Snow Hollow. And it's Snow Hollow, by the way. And then also this other movie, Thunder Road. They kept telling me over the last maybe even well a year and then two years with Thunder Road to go see Jim Cummings' work. I ignored them, vehemently ignored both of these fronts. Eventually, I ended up loving Scott Adkins. But anyways, enough of that. Because this week, Scott Adkins and Jim Cummings has been part of our podcast universe. It's a dream fulfilled. Eric Holmes, I'm going to shut up. Can you tell our listeners what had happened to you this week? What's going on? Well, I got a, I got a two separate emails, uh, one right after another. And it was... Uh, Hey, uh, we have a uh, interview opportunity, and uh, Greg said you'd like to interview Jim Cummings. I'm like, oh, geez, yes, yes, I would. <laughs> and I got nervous about that. And then uh, later on in the day, I got a uh, another email similar. It's like, hey, Greg said you'd like to interview Scott Atkins. I'm start shaking. I'm like, oh god, oh god, yes, 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 I will. <laughs> and uh, I did both those interviews, and pretty nervous for both of them because. Like Greg, you're the one that usually does these interviews, and you put them up on the the cinematics, the Patreon, Patreon page. Sometimes, yeah. And and the, yeah. dude, you're so good at this. And I, the only thing I could think of, like just waiting to do the interviews, is, I'm gonna fuck this up. I'm gonna fuck this up. So <laughs> I forgot to tell you, as a as a, an experienced interviewer, <laughs> I've been interviewing people since 1991. It's been 29 years. I've got to give you this piece of advice when interviewing people. I don't know if you, I gave you this advice, Mr. Bruce Perky. You know what's the big biggest thing about interviewing? The, the number one piece of advice eric do you know what it is drink lots and lots of beer beforehand good that's good if you did that and by the way i'm a, I, I, I did to... not i, I oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you, you should have if you did drink beer what would your beer of choice be if you were if you decided to imbibe before an interview what would uh, it have been probably Coors light or something like that i, I usually go quantity over quality okay when it comes and, to beer. and bruce let's say you did imbibe before an interview what what choice of drink would you would you choose i don't drink a lot but maybe something with vodka Oh, something with vodka. Okay. Like, a, okay. That might be some vodka soda, maybe like beta test, maybe something like that. Very good. You got maybe. me on that. Maybe with that. We're going to get to that in a second. Eric, you know, I'm very bougie. So, I, you know, my, my choice of drink would be before an interview it was Stella d'Artois. So that might, I, I like, I like boozy. Stella. He said he's very boozy. Boozy, <laughs> boozy and bougie. So anyways, how did those interviews go? Oh, and I'm bruisey. Oh, oh, yeah, and you're bruisey. Oh, by the way, my, my piece of advice, Eric, always phone it in. That's why I look so professional. I phone in all of my interviews. FYI, I hope publicists are listening to this. Once they listen to this podcast, they're going to say, oh, we ne- we definitely need for these interviews. We need to contact not Greg, but Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes for our Find Your Film interviews. So how did they go? Were you were nervous? Did you overcome your nerves? What was it like uh, meeting some really good cinematic heroes this week? Uh, well, they, they were both fun. I don't really know. A lot of it's a blur. <laughs> <You know, that's laughs> I'm so nervous going in. You know what? But, uh, Bruce, they, Bruce, they, Eric, they, they were all 
Eric sounds like me after I go on a date with a woman. That's why I'm still single at 50. Did you notice yeah. a little bit of the shakes? Does, does Eric Holmes have the shakes here? Bruce, what do you feel? I, I, I haven't only really heard the Atkins one, but he seemed like he was writing it and having a good time. So I didn't wow. catch it. Very cool. Well, that, that, that's good. Because in my head, I was just like, don't fuck this up. Eric, you're fucking this up. Shut the fuck up, Eric. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, I didn't think twice. I wouldn't have thought twice about it. I'm sure people listening to it will enjoy it. Uh, if anything, I thought like, well, he was the right man for this job because you're throwing out a bunch of action directors and stars and things. And I'm like, okay, well, it's a good thing he asked these questions because I don't know who those people are. And Atkins, I'm sure, appreciated that. So, yeah, right, yeah. right. Right. So anyway, so the Scott Adkins interview will be part of our Find Your Film podcast feed for next month. I believe Scott Adkins is in a new film called One Shot. Eric, you've, Eric Holmes has already seen One Shot. The review is embargoed. So we'll, we'll be talking about One Shot next week. I'm going to interview the director as well. So part of our Find Your Film universe, we're going to get, we're also supplying you along with the weekly reviews. We're go- going to be supplying more of these interviews. Thank you. know, thanks to Bruce Berkey, myself, and of course here, Eric Holmes. Now, you know, Jim Cummings, Eric, sounds like a really friendly guy. Was he friendly? Was it a fun little chat you had with him, with Jim? Yeah, it was uh, me, Jim Cummings, and PJ McKay, oh, PJ, who uh, co-wrote, co-starred, and co-directed The Beta Test, which I believe we're talking about today. Yes, we're going we're gonna to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about it. And, you know, Bruce forced us. Every, every week, Bruce, listeners, Bruce gives us a show, show notes a day later. So he's very, very, very vigilant. And the beta test is actually at the top of the list. So we're going to go with Bruce's order. So we are talking about the beta test this week. How is PJ and Jim together with it? Was it a good little uh, convo? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty fun. They, they noticed the uh, Blue Ruin poster right behind me almost immediately so that that uh that kind of eased nerves a bit and got us got us going on and yeah it was it was a good time yeah so okay and that wasn't that was not a plug for eric holmes eric holmes has always had the blue ruin poster behind his wall and of course there is a connection between jim cummings and blue ruin eric and bruce i'm sure you know the answer to the question of the connection between blue ruin and jim cummings do you guys know? Actually, I don't. Well, the connection is Thunder Road. Macon Blair played a school teacher in oh. Thunder Road. He had a yes. fucking dog. <laughs> F and right? Pick... Yeah, God, right? I'm glad he didn't bring that up. Oh, that looks like a fucking idiot. <laughs> no, see, and that's why they that that's why they were their minds were at ease because they of course they love the movie and of course yeah. they love they all love Macon Blair. So we're going to be be doing we're going to review a bunch of movies this week. There's the beta test. There is an well. We're gonna we're gonna actually review one of probably my favorite epic adventure in the last maybe couple of years, and we're gonna get to that in a second. We're also gonna be reviewing Dune, and we're also gonna be talking about this movie called Snakehead and the epic adventure. What is the name of the epic adventure, Bruce? That we're gonna be talking about? Heart of Champions. Okay, no, <laughs> <laughs> the movie that it, it's called oh, wait, the Spine of <laughs> no, this. It's called the Spine of Night. Yes, the other movie that Bruce was talking about was I was gonna actually have my joke where I was gonna say oh and last. Last but not least is a smooth is uh, Dead Poets Society. I mean, uh, it's Heart of Champions. It's not Dead Poets Society. It's Heart of Champions. We've, and oh, also, wait, I'm forgetting Horror Noir. Eric, were you able to see that? Did you get the link? Was there something screwed up with that? I, were- no, I, I got the link. But uh, between all the movies watching today and or this week and the interviews and then uh, catching up on a little book here for uh, someone that we're going to talk to next week, Rick Fisher. So I did not get a chance to watch the Horror Noir. Well, understood, but we're going to be talking, Bruce will be talking about horror noir. I got to about four out of the six short spoiler alert. I'm really loving this anthology. I'm assuming Bruce Perky feels the same way. We have a lot to cover. Also, the book that you were talking about, 
Eric, what is that book? Oh, and and Rick, oh, what, oh this one right here. Yes, Chameleons, written by Rick Fisher. This handsome little guy on the back, little guy. He's not a little guy. He's a big guy, ladies. He's a very big guy, and he wrote <laughs> okay. a he wrote a novel called Chameleons. Yes, Rick Fisher. He's an author. He's a he's a close friend of Eric Holmes. He will be joining us on Find Your Film for a, a segment. He's going to pick one of his favorite movies. Me, Eric, and Bruce. We're going to probably watch that movie and review it with with Rick. And then we're also going to be talking about his book Chameleons. So that's a lot of stuff to get to. And I think mainly, you know, we're going to have one recommendation from Eric Holmes, and he's going to talk about that. It, it ties in with with the whole beta test universe. And then Bruce will have his wonderful What's in the Box movie. It must have been a, quite a religious spiritual experience for you, Bruce, this week regarding your What's it, in the Box. It was. I, I, I was. I was transported into another dimension. You know, they say cinema really can, yeah, cinema can really move you into different places. Where did it? Where did this movie place you in, this, in the realm of our consciousness? Did it place you in a, in a beautiful meadow where you were basking in the, the beautiful sunlight in the, in the dew of the morning? Is that, was that it? It was like that meadow. If you've ever seen um, Soylent Green, and at the end of Soylent Green, they go to this special theater with a meadow where you go to be euthanized. I'm sorry to tell you, but that's the truth. <laughs> that is the truth. Okay, we're going to mention that movie towards the end. We're, we're not going to actually mention it right now. I, I don't even want to spoil it for you. If you listen to last week's episode, you know what movie Bruce is talking about. It might be the most horrific selection of this entire episode before we get on so anyways little clap little crap clap not crap clap to eric holmes for a good job this week on the on the interviews and why aren't you clapping bruce you're not bruce not a team player he's not he's not clapping eric you mentioned crap you're gonna have this guy (laughs) (laughs) very good anyways very good you're gonna be here hearing eric holmes's interviews on our feed very very shortly the beta test this week and then next week again scott adkins speaking of the beta test let us, talk, let us talk about the beta test written and directed by Jim Cummings and PJ McCabe. Jim Cummings, he plays a power agent in Los Angeles, and he's about to get married to this wonderful woman, woman played by the death of Dick Long actress, Virginia Newcomb. And the thing about Jim Cummings is he's, he's making a lot of money. He has a wonderful fiance, and he has a good buddy, you know, played by PJ McCabe, who's also the co-director and co-writer of this, I believe. Co-writer? Co-writer? Yep. It was co- yeah, co-written again. Uh, both. Both. Writing okay. and directing. Yes. Okay. So, and PJ McCabe plays his worker in this high powered talent agency. And okay, this talent agency, they're not there to nurture talent. They're there to package deals. They're get, they're, they get an actor or they get a producer and they get a director and they, they work with other producers. They're all about packaging movie deals, TV deals, packaging. The more you package things, the more you sell. And the more you sell, the more money you make. The beta test is very, I don't know. It, it's I would like to call it the meta test because there's so many different layers to this movie. It's about the corruption that is inherent in capitalism, especially in this talent agency. And also the main thrust of this thrust of this movie is Jim Cummings's character is he gets a, a purple envelope and he opens it and it's a invitation to for a sort of a one night stand or just a you no know, random encounter with a stranger who supposedly admires him. The catch is they're supposed to meet in this hotel in Los Angeles with their blindfolds on. They go into the room and they will have sex. And that is the key sort of eyes wide shut esque, like Bruce was saying. And what happens is Jim Cummings, character is wondering whether he should do it or not. And if he does, once he does it, this says it in the trailer, Bruce, by the way, he, he has to face a lot of repercussions from his actions. Okay. So it's a little, it's a lot of different layers to this movie, a lot of different 
in cinematic influences, but it's a very singular experience. Bruce, let's start with you regarding the beta test. You are you love Jim Cummings' work, and now he's co-directing and co-writing with PJ McCabe. What are your overall impressions of this movie? Um, very positive. I, I actually kind of love this movie. I ended up watching it twice because I wanted to kind of really catch all the stuff that's going on in it. I would say, so if you've watched other Jim Cummings movies, I think you will at least enjoy this because uh, it does a similar thing in that it's it's almost more the character interactions than the plot, although the plot is key in this movie. Uh, but like the other two movies, it's about his kind of frantic semi-unraveling, you might say, which is kind of seems to be a, a theme with his characters that he plays. I would say this is his darkest character, uh, probably his least likable character, which might be the biggest problem for some people, is that this guy is hard, is a, is a very hard to like guy. I think that what really works here is that it's such an interesting satire about just, you know, internet life and the post. Oh God, how do you describe it? There's so many things. It's so genre. This is, they say we're genre bending. This is truly genre bending kind of in the same ways that the Wolf of Snow Hollow was. I would just say, if you like Jim Cummings and you like his style, and you want to see a movie that's kind of unlike any movie out right now, and it's comedic and dark, and even might I dare I say apocalyptic. This movie is is pretty excellent. I don't. I, I I'm I'm kind of tongue tied in how to describe well, why you it's might so be great. Bruce. You might be tongue tied, but you weren't tongue tied. You weren't uh, creatively tied when it came to actually a meta or beta Hollywood, uh, not Hollywood, uh, Halloween costume. Can you tell our listeners what happened with your costume with the beta test? What happened? Did you get a, a reaction from the social media verse, which is social media is one of the, 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 that the, is cor- actually, the corruption of social yes, media. Very is also meta. Part of, yeah. Very, very, very meta. meta. Uh, yeah, tell, tell say, listeners, a, character, a character in this movie at some point puts on one of those, you can get those filters that you have, like those big plastic uh, filters you use to like, I don't know, paint or something. It's pink. And he puts it on to, I guess, disguise himself at a point or to maybe become more threatening. And he has that in a hammer. And that's all I'm going to say. So I just happened to have that exact same filter. So I put it on and had a hammer and, and posted it out there into the guys. Um, And I said, hey, look, I found my costume for Halloween. And they, the meta ridiculousness of the ridiculousness of that i think um really they liked liked it quite a bit <laughs> so <laughs> that's very well done yeah that was a very good costume eric a what did you think of bruce's costume did it fit the theme of the beta test and number and most importantly what did you think of this movie yeah well yeah the the costume was pretty sweet i got i got one of those at work but uh <laughs> i didn't bring it home with me yeah it, it, i mean that that's just a cool costume because it's like right there like it, it's just right there which is perfect um as for the movie i i think it's really great um the the opening scene is fucking dynamite just like right off the bat you know i was just like oh shit oh shit and then there's a a certain thing that happens i'll just with my hand right if you can see that and yeah that that was good and then the whole middle of the movie kind of i, I don't know it, it just writes that line of uh of uh thriller and comedy and it's it's a lot funnier than you think it might be especially after that opening scene and it's it's just you know we talk about joe dante how he likes to mix in a bunch of genres but he does them all really well like you know he does the he does the horror and the comedy and you know family film like all it has all these different genres and he nails all of them and i think the beta test does this I, again bruce mentioned wolf of snow hollow does the same thing 
And I think this is just kind of the next, uh, just them kind of kicking it up a notch a little bit. And the uh, ending, even the ending, you know, it sticks a landing. Uh, it, it gets to a, it gets to a really emotional kind of self in, introspective, you know, kind of uh, point. And yeah, th- this is fantastic. Can't wait to watch this. 18,000 more times. 18, yes. That's a lot. 18,000 times is a lot. Uh, Eric, Bruce, what, what are you going to say? Oh, I was going to say, this is also one of those movies that has great rewatchability because I think mm-hmm. it's fun to watch it again and see the little things that are, there's a lot of little breadcrumbs that are planted in there that you don't quite get the context of, but you get when you see it again. And this is very, it's not like it in style, but it, it works in a similar way to what I think Coen Brothers movies work. Whereas you can like the Coen Brothers movies, like the whole movie, but a lot of times what you love in Coen Brothers movies are specific little interactions. And there are certain scenes and interactions that you just love to watch again and again and again. This movie is full of those. Just scenes where he's going up and like talking to a guy at a hotel, trying to get information. There are probably seven or eight scenes like that in this movie that on their own are just gem awesome moments of I just can't describe. They're just great. Bruce Perky loved this movie so much. He actually did a Google Doc a dissertation and he sent it to me and Eric, basically analyzing different parts of the beta test. Bruce, that probably took you a little bit of time. You 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 actually uh, you know you really love this movie. Then this is a strong recommendation. You you spend time. I actually. really do love this movie, and I think that for the people who it works on are gonna are gonna adore it. And I think this is one of those movies that when people watch it. And it sits with them a little bit that they're going to really, it's going to, this is going to get, I think, a lot, a lot of love. Well, Eric described this movie as a movie that he'll watch 18,000 times and that goes to the re- rewatchability of it. He described it as, as fantastic. Bruce said the beta test is a satire. And you know what? I've lived here. I'm now, I'm now 50 years old. I've lived here for 40 years, specifically in Los Angeles. Unfortunately, with the beta test, it's not just a satire. I look at it as almost a documentary because. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly, Eric. Because the people in this movie, they talk in, especially the Jim Cummings character, they talk in a seemingly hyper real, hyper sensitized, what the F are they doing situation. But living in Los Angeles, these are, this is how a lot of people in LA talk. They are entitled. A lot of people here in Los Angeles, I can say this. I'm a Los Angelino. They act a very entitled. PJ, by the way, PJ McCabe, who's I'll give him a little bit of credit to because he's a co-writer, co-director, and he's a co-star in the movie. And he's very funny as the guy who's seemingly a good friend, but maybe he's not, but maybe he's very entitled to and very passive aggressive. There's a passive aggressiveness to a lot of these people that comes out to the forefront in the beta test. Also, there are some really shockingly, as Eric points out a little bit regarding the opening, there are some shockingly violent moments in this movie, which you might get from the trailer, but there's so many different things to appreciate about this movie. I personally, living in Los Angeles, appreciated how they really got the tenor of how a lot of people communicate here in the city of angels, which is that people act like you owe them something. And if you don't give them what they think they're owed, they will go off on you. And it's so annoying watching these people go off. And it's very entertaining because that's, I don't know, maybe Jim and PJ, maybe they spent their share of time researching or meeting these people in Los Angeles, because I find it to be very, very realistic, you know, and the idea about how capitalism over humanity sometimes Trump pretty much trumps it in this, in this city. I feel that energy as well from the beta test. So very, I like Eric and Bruce. I really, really love this movie as well. The beta test, let's see when it's coming. It's in select theaters starting November 5th. 
Okay. Now here's the thing. And you can also pre-order it on digital. On I was reading uh, on Jim, Cum- Jim Cummings' Twitter feed. You can actually order it on uh, Apple iTunes as well. So it's going to be in theaters November 5th and I'm in opening in domestic markets. And I believe you can also pre-order it as well. But we'll be talking a little bit more about the beta test next week and replugging it as well. Not re-reviewing it, but replugging it because it's such a wonderful movie, Eric Holmes. Yes. Yeah. I, I would also uh, point out that if you go on Twitter, the beta test Twitter, they also have a, uh, a tweet that uh, you go on there and post post a movie theater in your area. And they will call that theater and try to get the beta test there. You know, as much as we're looking forward to it and as much as the people listening to us, you know, this is kind of in their wheelhouse. Uh, This is a smaller movie. So, you know, it might not be playing in your neck of the woods. And if that's the case, uh, hit up that Twitter and post the nearby movie theater and hopefully it'll be playing near you. And if not, definitely fucking rent or buy this on Amazon or whatever, wherever you have to get it because this movie's fucking awesome. Yeah, we will post a link to the website and also where you can actually pre-order it or order it as well on our on our show notes. Bruce Perky, final question before we get on to the next film. Someone says, if someone asks you, Bruce, hey, you know what? I haven't seen any of Jim Cummings' movies. I don't even know who PJ, PJ McCabe is. So why should I see the beta test? I don't know what's what's going on. I, what if someone is not even doesn't know any part of this whole Cummings world or the previous movies? Why why is beta, the beta test an entertaining film for the lay viewer? For the lay viewer, I, I would say for anyone who really likes really smart, cutting, like satirical comedy with, you know, with a bite, I think people who like that will enjoy this. And like I said, people who really enjoy the vibe of Coen Brothers, it isn't like the Coen Brothers, but I think it taps into that same kind of fan base. I think that that's the kind of person will also like this as well. And I think we've, we're seeing the coming out party, the true coming out party. He's, he's, destined for greatness i'm just going to say this now it's happening right now okay very cool and also shout out to virginia newcomb who has a really good role yes. in this movie as a fiance she i don't want to give too much away but it is not your stereotypical long-suffering girlfriend fiance wife role it ends up being a lot more than that so we know how talented she is just from the death of dick long we've all, we've been a fan of that whole crew and especially her from that movie. And it's good to see her not just be, you know, window dressing in the beta test. She's not, she's just a big part of the whole story. Very, very important part. Eric, do you have something to say? You have something. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, also a uh, guarding Virginia Newcomb. I won't give it away here, but in the interview, we talk about her and one of her possible involvements that could have been in Wolf of Snow Hollow, but you have to listen to that to know what I'm talking about. Oh, very good. Oh, that's a nice tease. Eric Holmes. Okay, so again, that is the beta test. That call is- me Dr. Tease. That's what I did. Call me Dr. Tease. Okay, so that is an awesome film. This is a, a strong recommendation from all three of us. Now, another film. Before we get to our second film, let's just do a quick postmortem on Dune. Eric Holmes, it was your birthday last week. You said you'd celebrate it with a whole Dune Day. And then come to find out that on our Cinematics Facebook group feed, there were some people who really loved it. There were some people who really didn't like it or people who were middling about it. We want to know, Eric Holmes, you have read the novels. You have seen the Lynch version. And Dune is a huge part of your life, creative life, as far as pop culture consumption. What were your overall thoughts of this movie? I love this movie. So uh, me... And my niece and nephew went to uh, watch it in IMAX. And then we actually bumped into a bunch of friends that just happened to be going to the same screen that we did, which was uh, fun. So I got to talk to, got to talk to a bunch of people about the movie afterwards. And 
my initial thought after watching it, because there's a bunch of as many exposition dumps that are in Dune, it's very subtle and it doesn't make sense hearing me say that because of all the exposition dumps. But when the book is so dense that, you know, if you read the book and watch it go, okay, yeah, I kind of get that Uh, because there's a bunch of stuff they touch on, but they don't really dive into as deep as they did in the book. But, but, you know, I kind of knew what they were, what they were hinting at and what they were jabbing at. And I get a sense of what's to come in Dune 2 or Tune, I guess. And I'm really excited to see what they do with the second one. I'm really happy with uh, how they set up everything in this one. But I guess had I watched this by myself, I would be kind of gun shy about recommending it because I don't know. Like if you read the book, I imagine that you would love it as much as I would or at least appreciate it as much as I do. But I don't know how people that aren't familiar with the book, what they think of it. And of course, we leave and my uh, niece and nephew uh they they loved it. You know, my friends that uh, we met up with there after the show, they're like, dude, that was fucking cool. Like, you know, ornithopters and everything. So I was kind of surprised by their reaction. Happy that, that they loved it as much as, as they did. But yeah, it is a fan. It sets up things nicely for the second one. And it touches base on enough of the things because it's not a direct adaptation. Because again, the the book's so dense that you got to let some stuff go. And they did. Or some stuff they just kind of barely touch on instead of really diving deep into it, which maybe if it was a TV show, they could. But overall, I really love this movie. And I went home and watched it on HBO Max after I got yeah, I'm so yeah, glad yeah. If you're if you're a fan of the book, you probably already watch it. But if not, I w- I would say check it out. And now the fact that we talked about how the movie ends, right? Not not what the ending is, but right. just the yeah. fact that it does that Lord of the Ring compared to the Lord of the Rings, it does exactly that. The movie just pretty much stops on a dime. Mm-hmm. So if you're the type of person like I was, where you watch the Fellowship of the Rings and it just stops, and you're like, what the fuck is this shit? Then I would wait till the second one comes out because it's already, you know, they've already greenlit it. It's coming out in 2023. And so maybe you wait till that comes out and then watch Dune and Dune 2 back to back. Because I'm telling you, the second one, it seems like they're going in the same direction as they do in the book. And if they nail that ending like the book did, the second one's just going to blow minds. And I cannot wait. I cannot wait for that to come out. Very cool. I'm so glad you loved it, Eric. Bruce, so did you know that they're greenlining the sequel? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, did you did you hear about the rumor about the sequel? <laughs> no. you hear about the, the rumor is this one's going to be a good. This one's going to be really good. Did you did you hear about that one? This one's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I liked I liked the movie. About? Yeah. I liked the movie. I liked the movie. I was a bit underwhelmed. I like I did like it. I was expecting to to love it. It's one of those movies. I think once once I get, I think I might like it upon the second rewatch on a, another rewatch. I will say this though: the one. Shining star, in my opinion, of this movie, along with the production design and the, the cinematography, is the performance by Rebecca Ferguson. She's so good in this movie. She's fantastic. Bruce, your thoughts on Dune? It's the best Christopher Nolan movie I've seen in probably <laughs> 10 years, maybe. <laughs> no, I think I'm not a huge fan of the Nolan style, and this is very similar to that. But it's it's good for what it is. But I think people who love that style will love this movie. For me, it's it actually makes me want to go back and watch the Lynch one and see how how it ages. I haven't seen it for 30 years. The story is still great. The story is solid, and the acting, especially like you said, Ferguson, uh, Chalamet, I thought was really good as well. You know, I was kind of wondering. Uh, and I think that to me, as the adventure kind of begins, when they really get out there, the ornithopters and they get out to the desert and the kind of the last 
I don't know, 45 minutes of the movie, I started to get more invested in the story. But I understand that if you're if you're really into the lore, all that other stuff really grabs you too. But to me, it was kind of like so monochromatic and so serious and so heavy and so like, oh my God, this is like the politics of the Star Wars movies almost to me, you know? And I was just like, I, I don't, I don't care. Let's just go do something else. It's, it's, you're, you're really, you are really just a big superhero movie. Face it. That's what you are. Just do it. Bruce, did your sons go see it with you? Did your sons check this out? No, I went and saw it alone. And I actually looking forward to watching the other half of it too, yeah, but I'm right. not excited by it. It doesn't excite me. So Yeah. And here's a, here's a caveat to this. I, I want to say this. Okay. Eric Holmes is passionate about the whole, the whole Dune universe. And a lot of people are, and even people who are not passionate about the Dune universe ended up really loving this movie. That's a caveat to that. But the double caveat to this is me and Bruce are huge fans of Blade Runner 2049. So it's not like yeah. we are naysayers on Denise Villeneuve's work and all that stuff. It's just for us, I, I think I ended up liking doing a little bit more than you did, Bruce, but I guess it, it just did not hit us in a resonant way as much as it did Eric, but I'm glad that Eric loved it. Bruce? Yeah. I yeah. mean, there's no, you can't really, you can't, I don't think you could say, hmm, I guess you could say, but I don't think you could say reasonably it's a bad movie. I think it's no, 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 not, not even close. Not yeah. even close. Yeah. And that, I think that, so it's just, it's kind of like, does the tone and the style hit you or does it not quite hit you? And that's more of a taste thing than a quality thing. So, I mean, I have nothing to say, but I mean, it, it's an amazing production. <laughs> I mean, it is. What's really frustrating, though, that they split this up into two movies is that have you heard a song that you really like, but the really good part of the song is like that last last third of the song where they do the, you know, they throw in yeah. an extra riff or a breakdown or something and you play the song and the song's good. But it's that last part that real that really you know turns the right. screws on, and then you're like, dude, you gotta check out that song and you listen to it, and it's just about to get to that get to that final breakdown, and they turn the song off. Go, I don't like it. Oh God! <laughs> I know what you're saying, and yeah, you know what? Before we even started recording this, Eric, I was listen, listening to my Spotify playlist. This is the Dune is like listening to the opening moments of Kenny Loggins going falsetto on This Is It before getting to actually enjoy the chorus of Loggins singing This Is It with with Michael McDonald in the background, right? Basically. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That, yeah. That, hey, hey, Bruce. I mean, that, I like, that, that, I like that, Yacht that, Rock, bro. Okay. Get get with the program. Hashtag Yacht I've Rock. Watched, Come on. I've watched the series Yacht Rock. I know how Holland Hoats <laughs> are the, the dem- denizens of that whole world. And- <laughs> Yeah, Kenny Loggins. This is it, folks. One of the best songs ever made. Unfortunately, not made by Hardline, but still a great, great song. Nice little callback to that. Now, we're done with Dune. Next up is this movie called Snakehead. It hits theaters on digital and on demand October 29th. And here's a, here's a synopsis. This is a very interesting movie. It centers on this immigrant. Okay, her, she's Chinese. Her name is Sister Say, T-S-E. She is illegally transported with a whole bunch of other immigrants to New York through a snakehead. The snakehead is, the moniker is a human smuggler. So once she is transported to New York via a snakehead, she is forced into initially prostitution. Okay. And a a lot of people, they have to, once these immigrants come to New York, they are, they are levied with a huge debt that most of them can't pay. So they either have to work at these restaurants or do other things, become drug runners, all these really, really bad things that they don't want to do, but they have to erase the debt. That's the whole premise of this movie. The thing with Sister Say is she's played by Shuya Chang, and she's very good in this movie, by the way. She has a reason for coming to New York. She has a daughter, I believe a 10-year-old, I think she's 10-year-old daughter, maybe a little, maybe a little bit older. She has a, a daughter, 
in New York and she wants to actually make it, get rid of her debt and then be reunited with her daughter who's now adopted to white parents. Okay, that is a premise. But during the journey, she gets embroiled within the New York underworld. They remember the moniker Snakehead? She works her way up into the ranks to possibly becoming her own Snakehead. Maybe she becomes a smuggler of human. Maybe she, she becomes a human trafficker as opposed to being trafficked. It's about her supposed rise in the ranks to re- regarding this criminal world. The actual head mobster or the crime boss is actually played by Jade Wu, a Asian woman probably in her mid-60s, and she's very good as well. Ultimately, also in this movie is Sung how do you pronounce his name? Sung Kang from the Fast and the Furious franchise. He also plays a one of the the crime bosses, just really negligent and eldest son. So very interesting mob thriller. And it's also an immigrant drama. It has a lot of these things in the pot. It worked for me. I'm going to talk about the, the final act, which I thought was very interesting. Bruce, I wanted while I was finishing this movie, I really enjoyed that it's mainly pretty much an Asian cast, Asian lead, two Asian leads. And I, I thought just on a representing different voices. I thought it really worked, but there's there's a third act that I'm going to get to that I thought was very interesting as well. But I was wondering if maybe a part of this hopefully made you like this movie or did you not like the way it went? Um, I did like this movie. This is, you know, comparing to other movies, of course, always the thing, right? But I mean, the obvious comparison to this would be something like Goodfellas, you know? It's not that kind of Scorsese energy, but the idea of this kind of semi-outsider finding their way in this universe that's already built this this kind of mob underworld and what i really appreciate was kind of some of the same things you're appreciating about it too first of all sister say is really good in this and she brings a serious almost there's kind of this sadness mixed with kind of steely determination like she goes into this world that she shouldn't be part of and she's constantly showing them that she's tougher than they think she is and in fact there's the the first moment where Dai Ma, who's the older woman you talked about, sees her in a light beyond what she originally thought she had when she's reacting to her initial attempts to be prostituted. That doesn't last very long (laughs) because she's just so, she's a very strong personality. And that, that is the key to this movie. If you like it, it's because her, it's, I mean, it's low budget. I mean, it has some limitations, but it's very focused and it knows what it's trying to do. And it really stays with that main character and lets you be with her pretty much 90% of the time. And I think that's where it, it, it wins, will win people over. And you know what? It's a tropey type of movie, but it doesn't fall to those tropes. It's a weird. It just overcomes them. And it just, it's written and directed by Evan Jackson Long. I believe it's L-E-O-N-G Long. I hope I'm pronouncing the name correctly. It's just a weird, just a different type of voice. And regarding the third act, there are so many things that happen within the last 20 minutes of the movie. I saw the third act maybe several times because I don't know how how they were able to fit all that stuff in, in within 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. There's a lot of ish that goes on in this movie and the way it's edited and done and performed, I thought was pretty much for an indie film, they pulled it off. And yeah, I agree. I was surprised. They, this movie could have gone off the rails within everything that happened, but you just listeners, you just have to see this movie because it's interesting what they did with this movie regarding the mob thriller, crime drama, family drama situation. I just thought it was interesting for an indie film and, you know, give credit to Shuya Chang and never seen her before ever. She's a really interesting voice. And Jade Wu, I'm assuming I haven't seen 
any of her stuff as, as well. I'm assuming this probably is her media role and she's so fantastic. So yes. yeah. Well, this- and, and like you said, like the tropes. So like Jade Wu as the, as the kind of the de facto, what mob boss, right? You would imagine how that would be played in kind of the stereotypical, you know, Italian mobster movies that we're seeing most of the time. Right. And she doesn't play it like that. Like her style of menace is so understated. And it's very interesting how she does it. And I wanted to say that final act you're talking about, my guess is that this probably wanted to be a bigger, longer, even more epic movie, but they probably had a lot of limitations. They probably couldn't quite do that. So for, and considering what they do, okay, last thing uh, to its credit, this could easily be done as a much more B style movie, a much more, you know, it could just be kind of cheesy actiony like way less serious and it takes it seriously all the way through. And I think it mostly pulls it off. You know, what's weird, Bruce. I was thinking the same thing. It could have gone that straight action B level, just bloodletting thing. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't fault it for being that we, we, yeah. we really, yeah, but it, it had its own intentions. It wanted to be a serious drama, right? So yes, it takes yeah. itself seriously. And I credit it for that, but it doesn't do it in a super or I want to say it doesn't do it in a super, um, I don't know, pretentious way. Yeah. 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 Like it, it does it, but it does it in a way that feels genuine to that person, the the voice of the filmmakers. So I think that it's, it's a pretty neat little indie serious crime drama. This is what what we're trying to do with find your film is we, there's so many movies that come out on a given week. Let's face it, Snakehead is going to be at the bottom of the barrel. You're going to have to actually really sift through it because it's not going to be in your, you know, it's, it says it's playing in theaters, but most likely maybe not be in your local theater, wherever you live in the States. You're going to have to actually hunt this one down. Snakehead in theaters, on digital, on demand, strong recommend. I mean, solid recommend from Bruce, solid mm-hmm. recommend from me. We both loved yeah. it. We both really loved it. Very interesting indie crime drama. I'm assuming, Eric, you didn't get to it because of all the Scott Adkins stuff you had to do this week. Yeah, so. I tried, I tried to, I tried to squeeze it in before uh, recording today. I got about 15 minutes in and uh, I more than likely going to be rewinding this next week. Cool. Yeah, no, Snake is a very interesting movie. Also, sport, here, here's a surprise. You guys didn't know this. Tomorrow, I'm so glad you liked it, Bruce. I'm going to interview Jade Wu and Shuya Chang tomorrow. Oh, so, sweet. Yeah. For our find your wait, listeners, we're getting a lot more interviews for our find your film podcast. All of us are doing this. This is something that actually was introduced not by me, but by Bruce and Eric months ago when they did that movie. What is that, Max Cloud? What is that, Max Cloud? You guys started that whole trend. So this, this is whole a big part of our find your film universe doing these value added interviews for your podcast feed. Next up is a movie. We're talking about epic adventure. Look, the the beta test and watching Jim Cummings' first movie, Thunder Road, over the over the weekend inspired me to really maybe one day just try to write my own material because it's so singular. He Jim Cummings is an inspiration as a storyteller. The Spine of Night, I don't even know how to begin. Traveled and my dreams traveled with it. It is unspeakable power. Whatever you dream, you will have. It's too late to change what has happened. But not too late to change what will be. 
Why bring me here? We all have masters to serve. She will know sorrow. Our people have suffered long enough. Eric, do you know how how to describe the Spine of Night? It's just a fable. It's an adventure. It's a bunch of stories within a story. It's an apocalyptic tale. It's a rotoscope night nightmarish wonder. What is it? What is the Spine of Night? The when watching it, my first thought was if uh, uh, Ralph Bakshi did a rotoscope sequel to Beastmaster, it'd probably be something along the lines of this. Um, and if that sounds awesome to you, then this kind of delivers that. I think this is, uh, yeah, it, it, it has that Ralph Bakshi, you know, it, it's done in rotoscope. So pretty much anytime you rotoscope something, it, I don't know about you guys, but Ralph Bakshi is the first thing that comes to my mind. It's weird because like before I watched it, you guys had both seen it before me. And I believe William Lindis was the one that was hyping this up, which got Bruce, Bruce's eyes to kind of <laughs> twitch a little bit. So like I I came in like dude this thing will blow your mind and and I'm watching it and I think that might have oversold it a little bit not that this isn't great but uh, I, I was sacrilege really- sacrilege Eric what are you saying I, that, that, let, let me finish <laughs> <laughs> you know I always I I always say that on dates and and they kick me out <laughs> okay sorry but uh, I, I I guess I was expecting because this is like a really tight movie. Like, like it, it, the story's relatively simple, although it spans, you know, this is weird to say the, the story itself is simple, even though the conceit of it is not, if that, that probably didn't make any sense. It all. makes, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> no, it, no, it, I, look, here's the thing. It, it, it spans, it spans over eons, but this, it, it's, it's got a really A to B kind of storyline because you're following yeah. the one, the, the main character. But then it, you know, does the flashbacks actually Dunkirk. I think Dunkirk would actually be a good example of that where, you know, it, it has this weirdly it's flashbacks to like a couple minutes ago or a couple hours ago, but it still does that front to back kind of storyline. I, I think the only and this isn't even a problem. This is just I would also like this to happen would be I would love to see what a live action version of this would look like. But I'm also glad that like the rotoscope kind of uh, look to it helps it a lot too. So yeah, th- this is really good movie. Yeah, if you like Beastmaster, you know, like rotoscopes, check it out. Yeah, written and directed by I'm mispronouncing the name Philip Gelat, G E L A T T, and Morgan Galen King. The voice actors include Richard E. Grant from With Nail and I, Lucy Lawless, Pat Oswalt. Betty Gabriel, and Joe Manganiello. Anyways, here's a plot synopsis, and we're going to get to Bruce's take on it. Quote, in the spine of night, an ultra-violent fantasy epic, ancient dark magic falls into sinister hands and unleashes ages of suffering onto mankind. A group of heroes from different eras and cultures must band together in order to defeat it. 
at all costs. That's basically the plot line. Really, it's just a whole bunch of bloodletting and violence. There is an, a sinister force. Listeners, this is one thing that you could value added lesson. When you see a blue, fo- blue flower bloom in front of you, avoid it because a you might have a lot of power you yeah yeah don't eat the blue flower don't eat the when it blooms leave don't go on a mountaintop and stay there forever and tell stories to people who try to kill you nope there are this is i found this to be a wonderful film bruce take it off your thought your thoughts on the spine of night was william lind is correct in his assessment on how brilliant this movie is for my taste he was absolutely correct i really enjoyed it i i so like we talked about with dune if you go into this, this might not be your style. It is a very individual and unique way of presenting the animation for modern audiences, especially if you're not used to Ralph Bakshi and rotoscoping, they're going to be like, what is this animation? This isn't what I'm used to. This isn't my, you know, anime. This is not my uh, digitally enhanced, you know, animation. It's a different kind of stuff, but if people can get into the style, I think it's a ton of fun. The best way I describe it, and I think that I can't describe it any better than Eric did. I think he got a really good take on it. What I would add to that is to me, if you grew up or you've ever read heavy metal magazine, and if you've seen right. the heavy metal movies, but would never felt like never quite got exactly the tone that the magazines would have sometimes, this is your movie. This is the the ethos or the style oh i might have i might be losing me here the ethos or style no, of you're heavy fine metal magazine yeah. heavy metal magazine brought to life in animation and it is done i mean it has gratuitous nudity everywhere gratuitous violence everywhere but it's not gratuitous because it's part of this creative and amazing kind of sword and sorcery world and if you like that kind of stuff i can't imagine you won't like this movie and i would contend it's equally as epic as dune in its own right, it's equally epic. When there's a moment where you have slaves carrying a stone period pyramid oh, thing, slaves carrying a stone pyramid yeah. on their backs with this evil guy on top of it. And this guy by then, you know, is really evil. And just stuff like that. You're like, okay, that's pretty damn cool. <laughs> you know, you, you so. have winged assassins and it's a Zeppelin-esque, Zeppelin-esque type of escapade and it blows your mind that's these are just scenes that are just popping out of my head there's a semi or pretty much nude woman well i don't want to say what her occupation is she's climbing up the mountain and she's meeting this really interesting character who may slay her or may tell her just amazing stories of of life and humanity there's parts of this movie that i found to be resonant quite a little bit moving there's a sequence where it deals with lovers i'm not going to talk about what what their fates are or or how they fit into the movie. It's a throwaway two to three minute interlude with these two, these, these lovers. And it was wonderful. It just a throwaway moment. And it just sticks. I I prefer this to Dune. I like this better than Dune personally. I like Dune. I loved the spine of night and I hope I'm glad that you liked it as well, Bruce. And uh, to like for you, you like it. Solid recommend from you, from you, Eric, as well. For the yeah. Of oh, yeah. Wanna, yeah. I, I, I was also just thinking about it now. I really want to see like a live action version of something like this. But then to do that, it would have to be like a $150, 200000000 million epic. Like, yeah. and no studio is going to spend $150 million to make this movie because uh, with the amount of nudity and graphic violence in it. So, like, you could only do it. Is an animate, you know, is animation 
question, but oh, I'm just gonna I'm just kind of basking in the thought of, but what if they throw 150 million dollars at something like this? Like, but, how, how cool would that be? Oh, 100 percent. For us of a, for for those of us who are fans of like hand drawn animation, stop motion animation, Frazetta, yeah. PG Cycle Foreman, you know whatever yeah. it is. Like, there's moments in here, like say for example, where they're giving the the history and there's stuff about the gods, and it's just drawn and it's so cool and so interesting looking. And yeah, you could make it a real slick like live quote live action version, which is basically CGI, right? Because it have to be CGI, and it would just lose something. There's something about that slight roughness of that hand drawn. I I see what you're saying, but at the same time, (laughs) I can also see myself sitting in an IMAX theater with a Zeppelin pouring lava into a into a at a guy in a fucking blood. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Fair, like like that. That whole ending, like just imagine sitting sitting there watching that, and I was going, "Oh my god, this fucking awesome." Yeah, but it, but then but then like even if you buy the if the if you buy the uh, the IMAX tickets like it wouldn't be rated R, it would be rated hard R. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like they, they would actually it's like no, we're doing a new R. It's called hard R. Don't we already have X or NC seventeen? Hard NC seventeen. <laughs> also, I I don't know if you guys agree with this. This also you, Bruce, you're talking about a, a rewatch of the beta test. I believe this is has a lot of rewatchability because the first oh, yeah. time you're, you're actually watching the spine of night, there are some seemingly incidental characters that you think might just be wallpaper, but they end up being a big part of the narrative. So each of these little players, Bruce was talking about the, the slaves who are carrying that tablet. Okay. So they, those are definitely incidental characters, but there are seemingly other minuscule people who actually end up having big roles in the narrative. And that can only be fully appreciated upon a second watch of the spine of night. I, do you guys agree with it? So much is going on. In this movie. Yes. And I can tell yeah. you the exact absolute way this should be watched. This should be mm. watched. This should be watched. This should be on Friday and Saturday night at midnight at your local weird art house theater. Yes. You go there with a bunch of friends and you may be in various states of alteredness and this movie would be take some flowers glorious. before you watch it <laughs> take this some... movie would be glorious glorious and even if you don't do that i mean it's like one of these things about dune do you watch it on your your hbo max or do you watch it on the imax obviously the best way to watch it on imax a good movie is a good movie is a good movie yeah. but like you said the optimal viewing uh, i guess follow bruce's idea regarding the spine of night and that is a spine of night Hits theaters on demand and digital October 29th. Eric Holmes, yes, sir. One, one other thing. Is there like a, I mean, between this and CryptoZoo, do you think this is. <laughs> what a double you, feature. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I mean, is this a, is this a uh, result of the COVID thing? Cause you can do animation. Yeah. Like, you know, you could write an animation story and Bruce could come up with the storyboards and I could animate it. Like you don't need to be on set for these things to happen. Even the stuff that it's all rotoscope. So you could just have someone act it out in your living room and then rotoscope the background to be whatever you want. Do you think that perhaps this might be the start of a resurgence in these type of uh, kind of low budget indie animated movies? That's a good question. I I I hope so. I, you know, I hope I can. Yeah, I can see the blurb now on the poster. Go watch it. Thanks, COVID nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I, I think if more people find the spine of night, and a younger generation really, really loves this style of animation. You know, obviously, twenty years ago, some twenty years ago, Richard Linklater did it with Waking Life, right? But I hope there's more of this. 
it, it would be so cool. Because I'm looking at some of the images from this movie. It's gorgeous to look at. Yeah, I would love to have a wallpaper of some of these images from the Spine of Night just adorn my walls. So high, high marks from all of us. We all really love the Spine of Night. Now, speaking of another movie we love is Bro Harder. B-R-O-W Harder. What is this, Bruce? You put Bro, bro Hard <laughs> on the Google Doc Notes. What is that? Can you tell our listeners what is bro harder? Is it bro as in what's up, bro? Or is it brow harder, which is my thick eyebrows? No, what is it? Bruce? It's like bro, but bros who row are called bros. <laughs> See? Yeah. You know, this this movie is called Heart of Champions. I guess I was maybe I was thinking, guys, better better moniker, would it be Heart of Champions or should it be called Row 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 Your Boat? Or another moniker would be if it was directed by someone like David Lynch, Life is but a dream. I don't know. What do you think? Heart of, or do you think Heart of Champions is a perfect title for this movie? Eric, let's start with you on Heart of Champions. What do you think? Good title for a movie? Well, Heart of Champions, I, I mean, it, it, it makes sense uh, given the story. This is probably, my guess is that a lot of our listeners, this is not going to be a movie they gravitate towards. This is like kind of like Miracle. You know, the the team, oh, they're, you know, they're a rowing team and uh, they're not very good. And then Michael Shannon's like, all right, boys, I'm going to whip you into shape and get you you know you need to learn to work together and not apart and then you'll be able to fly and that's what i'm talking about and you know <laughs> I, I, however it does it, it's this is a story you've seen uh a hundred thousand more times probably disney and probably starring kurt russell or uh you know not kurt not kurt russell like in death proof but kurt russell in like miracle or dreamer or something you know it's it's one of those type of movies you know it's uh it it, it you know, if you need a feel-good movie that, you know, kind of manipulates your heartstrings, this will do that. But I don't know that this will, yeah, given the uh, given the audience that we talk to, I don't see this being something that a lot of our listeners will gravitate towards. That okay. being said, I, it made me feel good. You know, if you can, if you can throw yourself into this sort of thing, it, it does what it does, but it's not going to really, it's going to, it's going to row you. <laughs> Oh yeah. Um, mo- oh, go ahead. Yeah, row, yeah. Oh yeah, Bruce, you're doing the rowing. Directed, <laughs> directed by Michael Mailer, son of Norman Mailer, late Norman Mailer, by the way. I for for quite a spell in my 20s and 30s, I I would read everything that Norman Mailer had ever written. Was a huge Norman Mailer fan. I should read more. I don't read more now. I just I just watch movies. But directed by Michael Mailer, Heart of Champions, like Eric said, it's about a rowing team. They don't get along, and it's just about how they're trying to, like Eric was saying, they're trying to get. Uh, get themselves whipped into shape. The main character in this, one of the main characters is Alex played by Alexander Ludwig. And he, you might know him from Vikings. He's the guy who, who's probably an Olympic hopeful. And basically the rowing team is there's sort of a, although they are a team, it's so supposedly just to spotlight the prowess of Alex. So he can make the Olympic squad. There's also an, a guy named Chris played by Charles Melton, from Riverdale. He's the guy who's a transfer student. He's troubled. He has a past. He doesn't really believe in the in, in the wonders of rowing. He just looks at it as a job, as a scholarship, as a way for him to survive in school. There's all these little subplots. There's also, if you were a fan of JAG, David James Elliott here, he also plays, he plays the father of the aforementioned Alex, the Olympic hopeful. So there's a subplot about how the dad just wants his son to, to really be the Olympian and he doesn't care about the rest of the crew. So the, 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 the yes, Eric. That, that just real quick, that what you just said, that needs to go on the uh, VHS, uh, that needs to go on the VHS cover. Heart of Champions, 
Do you like Jag? <laughs> do, you, do you like Jag? Yeah, Jag actor David James Elliott. I mean, I remember we we we're, were of the age. We all remember yeah. when Jag was on our our various television sets during the nineties, I believe. So I, I know Bruce was a huge fan of Jag. weren't you a you were a Jag guy, Bruce? Were you a Jag guy? Yeah, I I couldn't Jag enough. It was so much <laughs> jagging in my house. There was a lot of jagging regarding Bruce Perky's house. No, so ultimately, like Eric says, I feel like. This is a fine enough sports drama. Two hours, man. <laughs> 120 minutes, though. This movie could have shaved off about 15 minutes of its runtime. The subplots. At least. This, yeah, at least the subplots. I Ultimately, there's a whole thing about a girl, and she's, she's fine in this. And it, her name's Ash Sant, I think. Yeah, Ash Santo, she's good in this, but she plays a girl who's who might be a potential Rhodes Scholar and she gets involved in a relationship with the Charles Melton character. I, I didn't care about that, but they did fine. These are all of the actors are good, but I'll be honest. And the way it was done by, by Michael Mailer was proficient enough. There are a couple of, there is one plot situation that I'm not going to get into that really pissed me off because I mentioned Dead Poet Society, and it it's one of those things where you go, I just they just threw that, they just put the wrench, and they just threw it right into the story, and I just said, okay, no, you almost you pretty much almost lost me with that plot twist. But overall, I would give this movie a light recommendation, mainly because of the acting of Michael Shannon, watching him yell at the students for you know honestly, if Michael Shannon just yelled at these students for 120 120 minutes. I would have loved that movie. Unfortunately, that's only about mm, 15 minutes to 20 minutes of this movie. So still, a, yes, Eric. I, I want to see a movie where Michael Shannon's yelling at me for watching the movie. What are you doing sitting there watching this movie? Get up and do something. Or maybe you don't. Hell, I don't care. Just sit there and watch me. <laughs> very good. Michael Shannon impression. Eric Cohen's very good. So yeah, it's a light recommend. Well, is it a light recommend for you, Eric? No, not, not really recommend. It, it is, but like, you'll know what this movie is and you just got to be in the mood for it. Um, And like you said, this is a good enough version of this kind of movie. I just don't think a lot of people that listen to our show are going to be into this sort of thing. Um, I will say though that uh, twist you were talking about, I didn't see that coming, and so that kind of that kind of oh. was a little bit of value added for me because like the rest of the movie, I'm like, yep, I know, like that the, that's what this movie is. It's safe. You know exactly what's going to happen. You know exactly how it's, you know, you can you can almost from the first five minutes of the movie, you can hit you know guess every beat. But that was one that I was like, well, I wasn't expecting that. So good on them for that. But right. yeah. That, recommend if you're into this sort of thing or if you know someone that's into this sort of thing otherwise probably not yeah again the the running time really got to me a little bit but ultimately i did i do lightly recommend this if if you're a michael shannon fan if you want a safe sports drama it could have been a better film though bruce let's go to you no 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 we go no no you guys no (laughs) there's no reason to watch this movie (laughs) real what you don't like michael shannon he's good in this okay Question. You can watch him a lot better things. You can spend your time more wisely with Michael Shannon. Many, many different ways. I mean, my biggest question in this movie is why this team? Why? Like all those movies you talked about before. Yeah, yeah. All those movies you talked about before. The basic, the the foundation of this kind of movie being as tropey as it's going to be, 
is you have to have a reason to follow this particular team or this particular crew. Like there has to have been a tragedy or they have to have been the worst team ever since the beginning of time, or there has to have never been for the last hundred years, a, a ski jumper from England, or there has to be, you know, I can, you can go down the list. There's something that invests you in this team. No, all this team is, is a bunch. It's like a 99% white, rich kids that are only okay. And they need someone to teach them to be a little bit better than okay. So they can beat Harvard. That's their goal. He even stands uh-huh. there. You have the whole um, Louis Gossett Jr., you know, like a drill sergeant. What is the reason you're here? And they have to all go down the line. What is the reason you're here? And they're, nope, that's wrong. You're wrong. You know, give them up with a better reason. Uh, we want to beat Harvard. That's right. That's your reason. You want to beat Harvard? That's the goal of this movie? No, fuck this movie. This movie is ridiculously <laughs> stupid. Do I want to see that? Do they need to go out? Oh, it's the first snow tradition to get naked and run around. Oh, yay. Oh, we all throw our little things off the bridge because it's a. Tradition. Oh, that's what that was. All right. <laughs> yeah. What, I, mean, what did I you don't think? know. What did you think of the twist, Bruce? The twist. This just. <laughs> <laughs> that's like. You, you loved it. It's like the twist. The twist went from vanilla ice cream to vanilla bean ice cream mm. <laughs> now it's really spicy <laughs> it's like it's like i'm a vanilla fan i'm a white. vanilla let's bean be, fan let's be off white now and we'll be really edgy in this movie no this movie is fucking terrible actually yeah they did kind of do that didn't they <laughs> exactly <laughs> didn't even think I don't know if bruce perky's quote this is effing terrible is going to make the heart of champions quote book so I, I I think you Bruce did not like this one bit and yeah not even not even seeing Michael Shannon do his drill sergeant bit did not even impress you at all you were just saying get me out of here. Well, I mean he's he's the best thing in here. He's not given anything to do though, really, right? I mean, yeah. even the the stuff he's telling him to do makes no sense. Okay, break the glass now. Hang up those hang up those you know, shirts from Harvard. Now, when you do something, I'll, you can pick your shirt off. But what, what, what is isn't this, there a key? This, isn't there a key to open the glass to, and then could it save the school money? It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. Like, how am I going to inspire them? Hey, Hey, can I be the head guy? Sure. I'll inspire them. Well, how are you going to do it? Well, I saw this Kung Fu movie where the guy had to fight someone blindfolded. Let's try that. Okay. That makes total sense. Now you're better. Uh, oh, I spoiled it. I'm sorry, guys. Spoiled it. Hey, what do you say? Bruce, first of all, have you ever been one with the water? You know, when you're in the water and you put the blindfold on and you just feel like you're traveling in a whole different world, you're just one with nature. And I got to remind you one thing about Bruce. Uh, you, I hope you learned this about Find Your Film. No podcaster is an island. Did you Did you know that? Oh, I'll give you something else better. So I was watching this movie and when it started, I put two pieces of tape on it. I put a blue piece of tape and then below it, I put a brown piece of tape. And if it got above oh, the brown piece of tape, it was a piece of shit. And it got way above that brown piece of tape. <laughs> okay. Bruce is getting very, there is a lot of, there, there's not too much love regarding. So like recommend heart of champions for me. And then Eric has a, I think, uh, I, I think someone's great aunt would really love this movie. Okay. That's his sure. thing. And then Bruce gives, I believe heart of champions. Huh. A light recommend as well. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. This is a strong not recommend from Bruce Perky. <laughs> oh, oh, gotta go, gotta go. Don't see Heart of Champions. That's what Bruce says. Again, the movie comes out in select theaters 
October 29th, 2021. Last but not least is this movie called Horror Noir, N-O-I-R-E. Unfortunately, it's six stories, six anthology stories. Bruce is going to pretty pretty much lead the charge on this one. It's out on Shudder, not on the 29th, but on the 28th. And it is sort of a companion piece to, to the aforementioned the documentary Horror Noir, which came out, I think, about a couple of years ago, which Bruce really enjoyed as well. Bruce, what did you think of this anthology series? Did it live up to the documentary that you really loved? Well, I mean, it's kind of hard to compare because when documentaries about the history of, you know, black representation in cinema and and throughout various ages and stuff. So that's, you know, historical and interesting in that aspect. And also just how it kind of reflects society and so on. And this is now, first of all, I'm not sure if they're presenting this as a single movie anthology. Single movie. Two okay. hours and 32 minutes. Okay. I wasn't sure if they're going to do that, if they were going to have them each as episodes. Either way, it doesn't really matter. I mean, there's six approximately half hour, you know, parts of this anthology. And instead, it looks like what they're doing here is they're taking, you know, just modern black voices doing their version of different horror stories. And some of them are about the issues. A lot of them are, but a lot of some of them are just just a straight ahead horror story. So kind of a whole variety of things there. And overall, I think it's, they're either good and interesting to a few of them are pretty, pretty great. So do you said you watched four of the six? I watched four of the six. Mm-hmm. I am highly, lo- I'm really loving horror noir. I'm absolutely mm-hmm. into it. One of the mentions you you mentioned, one of just a really escapist horror fair, that's the beginning of the film. It's called The Lake, where a woman purchases a really beautiful home by the lake. And <laughs> she she's, yeah, I mean, I'm wondering, she's a teacher. How does she get, how does she lay down the, the, the money for that kind of awesome mansion-like house right in the lake? And she gets this warning from the, the her landscaper. Elderly, no, not elderly landscaper. He's probably he's probably almost the same age, a little bit older than me and Bruce. He he tells her, "Don't whatever you do, don't go in the lake." And what does she do? She doesn't listen to her elders, and she decides to go in the lake. And well, obviously, bad things happen when she goes back to school yep. the next day. She uh, she befriends one of the high school students, and he she he she ends up. Try hiring him to be her new landscapist, landscaper. So that's the premise of the lake. That's a, that is a very escapist horror fair that I thought was really good. But there's other stories. There is out of the four out of the four shorts I saw. There is one. I don't know what the name of this one is. The one where it's set in the past, where it's John Patrick uh, Thomas, Bride Before You, with the the mysterious mysterious sounds going on yes I, is it set what is it set? is it set turn of the century maybe turn of the century i think new it's york. about turn of the century yeah turn yeah. of the century i think new york right i think maybe they're in harlem or something it's black couple they're trying to she's trying to have a kid and unfortunately she can't have a kid and and her husband wants a son to, to you know to inherit the family business or just to live that legacy on and she makes a certain deal to have this child and then what happens is what happens in the short. You see the ramifications, the repercussions of actually bringing a little bit of sorcery and witchcraft into the level of birth. This woman who is a mo- who really wants to be a mother, she also has her own culture and history. She brings it to New York as well via a, a wheel, a wheel spinner. Mm-hmm. I thought this short, I don't know about you, Bruce. I thought this short was brilliant because you think we've been talking in this episode about, about tropes specifically in snakehead with this short, you think it's going to go one way and it goes completely a different way. 
and it becomes it has a some, twist you're not expecting for sure. <laughs> it has a twist you're not expecting, and I found it to be a little bit even re- moving, and it just shifted your attention in so many different different ways. I I thought it was a brilliant short. All the other shorts that I saw, there was there's another short where it's about this this guy who's a he's he's what is it called a muralist or an artist? He paints mm-hmm. these murals in his local neighborhood. And he, all he wants in this world that we live in of the gig economy, he just wants to be paid top dollar or at least a decent dollar for his murals, as opposed to just working for the lowest dollar for the benefit of his culture and his community. And it seemed, and it's a look at free, free market capitalism versus really, you know, getting the back of your own people or actually supporting your own. And it, I thought that was a wonderful, entertaining narrative as well. Bruce, what stood out for you? Did, are, did all of these um, shorts that I'm talking about really stand out? Yeah, I I liked the, oh, I almost said what it was. <laughs> the Bride Before You, I like that one a lot. I like the one you just talked about, which is called Brand of Evil. And the thing is, is this guy is talking to him, making wanting him to make logos for his company. And it has a very interesting kind of little take, I guess, kind of making a deal with the corporate devil in a sense, but you kind of have to see how that plays out. I like the one actually right after The Bride Before You too, called Fugue State, where it's a couple. I really like how that one played out um, where he's kind of a kind of a guy who writes stories and stuff about these kind of culty, culty religious groups. And that plays out really interesting. But the best story of all, I think, is the last story, which need, none of you have seen. Oh, no. It's, yeah. called, so good. it's called Sundown. And I'll oh. describe the premise. of. first of all, it has a guy and I forget his name. He's the dude. Uh, he's in everything. He's a character actor. And he played in Fargo as one of the two. The not... <laughs> Oh, what's his name? You guys. Peter Stormare. Peter Stormare. Yeah. Yeah. Peter Stormare is in this. So I'll just give you the basic setup. It's a group of political canvassers and they're walking through this small country town and it's really kind of desolate and it's getting towards the end of their canvassing and they're not having much luck. And the one couple, and there's a bunch of them, there's some white and black people, but the main couple is a black couple and they're like finally getting done with it. And before they get ready to leave town, they go into the little post office and it has, it's a sundown only town. If you know what those are yeah. in the South yeah. and the sundown only town's like, you know, no, no blacks in town after sundown. And the, the couple sees that and the woman's like, Oh, hell no, no, we're out of here. You know, we're, let's get out of here. And of course they get out to their cars, their tires are flat and the sun is going down. And uh, Peter Stormare kind of comes walking out from the fog and he's playing this fiddle all really strange and spooky He's like, welcome, we're going to have our dinner and everything. Come on down. And uh, it's, it's so fun. It's so good. And I'm not even to say what the twist is. You probably can kind of guess somewhat what the twist is, but the way it plays out, it's so fun. So fun. Wow. It's even better. It's even better than Bride Before You. Sorry, Eric. I'm I'm really curious what a uh, black couple in a sundown town is fun. (laughs) It is weirdly fun. And it's mostly because the interaction of the two main characters, they are so it's, it really plays. Okay. It plays on the, it's kind of the anti-trope, right? That, that, you know, I forget who was a Eddie Murphy, who was who said like, you know, you never have these haunted house movies like Amityville horror with a black couple. Cause they oh, go okay. in there, the house says, get out. And they're like, okay, we're out, you know, I got you. or even in the new Candyman, there's a scene, there's a nope scene in that one. that was really funny. And this kind of plays on that and extends that idea. And it's, it's good. Very, very cool. So that is Horror Noir. Strong. Is it a strong recommend for you, Bruce? I would say, I would say it's, to me, it's about, it's a 
solid recommend i would say because it, it's recommend. a little uneven and i think that the one thing that it doesn't have for some horror fans unlike vhs 94 uh this is a not a super bloody it's it's a little more like creep show level kind of more classic kind of horror style so just know that going in so the people who are kind of more gore hounds and stuff won't get as much out of this but there's there's solid fun kind of almost twilight zone-esque creep show-esque classic kind of horror story style Exactly. No, I, this is so far. I've only seen four out of six. I'm so excited to see the, the final one. I'm currently in the first few minutes of the number, a short number five. It's called Daddy. But also want to mention Leslie Ann Brandt. She is the woman in the lake. She has a very good performance in that. She's very, very good. Bruce mentioned Peter Stormare in Sundown. Also, Lenora Cricklow. She is in Ride Before You. She is fantastic in that short. I, you know what? I'm mm-hmm. telling you, I'm so crazy. I can't wait to, for, for you to see this, Eric, to see, tell us which shorts you love. But I, I, you know, honestly, Ride Before You, that could have been a feature film just because of all of those elements. And also, the sound you, design is pretty great in that too. <laughs> it's so good. And I love the voiceover because the voiceover, it's, it, it, it's from the, from the maid in the house and it centers on her life. It's just so many different things that I really loved about this. Also, if you are, a fan of the craft from 1996. Rachel True is in that aforementioned story that Bruce was talking about, about the couple and the cult. That's Rachel True and Malcolm Barrett. They are the married couple who are finding themselves in a bit of a conundrum in that religious cult short. This is a value added short. I'm really, I'm glad you liked it. I, I liked it. And we can't wait to hear what Eric Holmes has to say about horror noir. So that is it. Also Thursday, October 28th. Before we go, Eric, we have a recommendation and we have a box. What's your coming to recommendation? My recommendation before I did the, uh, the interview with Jim Cummings and PJ McCabe, I didn't know a whole lot about PJ McCabe other than his short part in Wolf of Snow Hollow. And of course, beta test. So I, I wanted to watch something else with him in it. And I came across 13 cameras, which by the way, now I'm thinking of it, I believe currently the beta test is 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb. So Congratulations to them for having a perfect uh, score on IMDb. <laughs> but uh, I, I went and checked out about 13 cameras written and directed by Victor Sarkoff, who I believe this is the only thing he's done. There, there's uh, 14 cameras. It says he's got a writer credit on that. I don't know if that's a screenplay credit or characters by or whatever. But uh, PJ McCabe's in it. Jim Cummings is in this for a couple scenes. Brian Moncrief. Basically, a guy and a girl, you know, they live in this house and their their relationships is kind of on the rocks. Basically, PJ McCabe's character is cheating on his wife and she doesn't know about it and she's pregnant. And he's, he's basically kind of a turd. And their uh, landlord, played by Neville Arkenball, Ar- Arkenbald, they told me how to pronounce it and I forgot already. Arkenbald, he's the landlord and he has a, uh, in the house that they're renting out, they have a, uh, what, this stays locked. This is, you know, basically where I keep all the, you know, the the heat, water heater, storage area, you know, tools in case I got to come over and fix something. And so, you know, they don't think twice about it. Of course, of course, that's not just a, a room that they keep for storage. It's the room where, and the, the movie's called 13 Cameras, so you can kind of figure out where this is going. <laughs> so he just, uh, he just goes in there and just kind of watches them. And it's, it's pretty creepy. It's mostly a relationship drama. But imagine a relationship drama when you know that some creep, uh, creeper, peeping Tom, possibly murderer is living inside the house. And that's kind of what the what this story is. It's pretty good, you know, for for this kind of movie. And 
you know, you get to watch PJ McCabe and Jim Cummings pop in for a bit. So that's even, and, and that Neville Arkenball, the guy that plays the, uh, the landlord, dude, that guy's really, I, I don't know if you can pull up a picture of him, but that guy is just creepy looking and he, and he pulls off, he pulls off sinister quite well. And the, uh, not going to say the end, but uh, there's a, a little sting it, like the very, very end. That's pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> so yeah, this this would uh this would get a higher recommend if you're into uh you know thrillers, suspenseful horror movies. Think I think uh Michael Haneke's Cache, kind of how that is, but I think this one's a little more fun because Cache gets kind of it's the premise starts off good, but then it just kind of turns into nothing sort of towards the end. This is one's a lot more satisfying, I think. Okay, so that has 13 cameras. Eric, you saw this on Shutter? Um, I can't remember where. I think I saw this on Amazon, actually. This is available currently streaming on AMC Plus, Roku, Hoopla, DirecTV, Shutter, FilmRise, and IMDb TV. A whole bunch of them. And also you can rent and buy it. Again, that's 13 cameras starring Jim Cummings and PJ McCabe. That is pretty cool. They did 2015, so they've been working for a while together. And it's cool. In this yeah. version, they're not directing it. They're both acting in yeah. it. And there's a, there's a sequel called 14 Cameras. I know that because I got 15 minutes into it before I realized, wait. <laughs> and then I saw the, the things at 14 Cameras on Alan Idiot. And so I went back and watched. But I, I, it was good enough. I think I'm going to check out the rest of 14 Cameras. Okay, cool. The rest of 14 Cameras. I had no idea about this movie. That's another movie that you can watch. It's streaming everywhere. So check that out. Bruce, before we get to you, let's go to Peter Beta. What does Peter Beta do every week along with host? middle-class film class with his awesome buddies what does what does he do eric no pete drop that beat who's in the box oh what's in the box you lie no what's in the fucking box bruce what that beat (laughs) bruce what is the awesome movie that you have for us to as we close out the show is it better than the spine of night or dune or so much better yes it's good better bobblehead first of all this is bobbleheads the movie directed by kirk wise (laughs) made made to be watched by me by my son andrew it's better than heart of champions (laughs) all right so there's something for you okay um no, this is a pretty terrible movie. Uh, I, I mean, so here's the thing, right? You watch these kids' movies that are like, you know, Toy Story and all that stuff, and there's at least there's something that can kind of pull you in. And this is a, a terrible knockoff of those, where the the basic concept is you've got these three bobbleheads in this house, and the family leaves, and the bobbleheads are hanging out in the house alone. And then the long lost brother and his girlfriend come in to try to steal them because there's a collectible bobblehead. And then they kind of just try to escape and survive the whole time. The animation is very terrible. (laughs) It looks like it was probably made in the late nineties and it's 2020 when this is made. And the weirdest thing about it is, okay, here's the problem. (laughs) There's a lot of problems. Oh, I'm loving the the voice actors would share Jennifer Coolidge. Not bad. Yeah. yeah, it's if you're a little kid, it's a little little kid. It's probably entertaining enough. But there's something really strange about this, and that is they're bobbleheads. So their heads are constantly bobbling and wobbling around, even when they're just doing nothing. And it becomes kind of sickening. Like you kind of start to get queasy watching it because they're always bobbling. So I would say if you're going to watch anything, just do a search. I'm sure on YouTube you can find it. The closing credits of bobbleheads. It's one of the cringiest things you'll ever see. 
And it is the share bobblehead singing with the other bobbleheads and trying to get them to do a dance routine. It's very sad. <laughs> it's really bad. Wow. Does uh, Dennis yeah. Miller show up in it? Babe? But it's shorter <laughs> than Heart of Champions <laughs> and it's better than Heart of Champions. <laughs> so first of all, is your, your son's grounded, right? For, for this. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I get to put a movie in the box. And if it comes out, then he has to watch that movie. All right. So, so, we'll the, so was he, what we want to do there. So was he trolling you or did he actually like this one? Oh, no, he didn't like it. He watched it and he thought, this is so terrible. I'm going to make you watch it. Down. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he did that with zombies too. If you ever see those <laughs> zombies movies. Oh my God. By the way, you know, it's rating on IMDb is 2.7 out of 10. Came out last really? year, Bobbleheads the movie. It's, like you said, directed by Kirk Wise. Do you know what other movies Kirk Wise has directed? No. In 1991, Kirk Wise co-directed. Beauty and the Beast. Following the five remake? years later, yeah, no, no, the Be- Beauty and the Beast, the, the Disney animated classic. So he directed that, and then in '96 he directed The Hunchback of Notre Dame, the animated version, and then in 2001 he directed Atlantis: The Lost Empire. So he actually has a great resume as an animated filmmaker. Is that weird? Have had something must have happened to him. Something must have happened to him. Who knows? <laughs> Dementia. <laughs> okay. so bobbleheads the movie where did you <laughs> bruce did you rent this did you see it on amazon on netflix netflix okay netflix God, thank you thank you i did not oh i'm gonna i'm gonna value add to what erica just brought up so since we can't bring much value with bobbleheads neville archambault that guy he must be part of their stable because he also co-starred with jim cummings and uh, jim cummings had a small part in this movie called block island sound which is yeah. on netflix mm, yeah I, I haven't seen I've that, never seen that. that was yeah. on the that was on the list. That's a pretty interesting movie too. So there, he's, he shows up in Wolf of Snow Hollow real quick. It's uh, when they're going through the, you know, asking people, you know, interviewing people, and I, I can't, I can't remember what is. He, he has like one line for like five seconds, but yeah, he, he's pretty good. <laughs> yes, I always forget the what's in the box pick. You got to pick for next week, Bruce. So what's in the box, Bruce? Along with uh, yeah, what's in the box? What's in the big box? Come on, box what's is getting box? lean. I'm gonna have to add to it soon because it's getting I, lean. I got and about Eric, four. I got about four movies for you coming right up. Eric, <laughs> make sure you ask Rick Fisher, author of Chameleons, what his movie pick is for next week, so maybe yes. we can check it out too. Watch Whoa, your god, pretty what's cool. I have not seen this movie forever. It's, I definitely mm. have seen it, but I haven't seen it for a long time. So I'm curious to rewatch this movie, and that is Do the Right Thing. Mm, do the right thing. Who is it from? Just, uh, Carlos Lopez Estrada. Oh, Car- oh, yes, Carlos Lopez Estrada, who, who I interviewed. Yeah, very, very cool. Great filmmaker yeah. from uh, Blind Spotting. Yes, and Raya and the Last Dragon, and and I forgot. Well, I'm just. What did I interview him for? Summertime. That summer. That movie, Summertime, which is very yeah. an interesting movie as well. Okay. Do the right, right thing. thing. I haven't seen it forever. It'd be really interesting to see. This is one of those movies that, you know, you get those cultural touchstone movies, you know, at their time. And then to watch them, what, 30 years later? Like, when did they make that movie? 95? I think 89 or 90, something like that. Yeah. yeah so yeah. over 30 years later, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. I have a feeling it plays out really well, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> for, Eric, have you seen Do the, the Right Thing? Yeah, it's been a while, so I, I think I might jump on this because it, it's worth a re- rewatch, I think. All right, so we're done for this week's episode. Next week, we're going to be, I think we're in Scott Adkins mode, and I think I have to find a couple more films for us to do. And also, Bruce Perky mentioned to me this morning about our dedication to spotlighting physical media. First off, if you've listened to this episode towards the end, I am currently uh, doing a giveaway for, for our podcast as well as cinematics and my site, Deepest Dream, Stillwater, Blu-ray and DVD. It's available. All you got to do is check out my post on Deepest Dream, enter, 
and uh, that's it. And one of the one of the qualifications to actually get on board for this giveaway is to rate and review our Find Your Film podcast. But regarding physical media, along with having more giveaways, we will be spotlighting more DVD, Blu-ray releases starting next week. I think we're going to figure out maybe DVDs and Blu-rays to review down the road, or maybe we can pick from our own library collection as well. I think physical media is very part is something that we need to cover more of down the road, not just with giveaways, but I think it's uh, going to be very, very important. What kind of Blu-rays do you want us to cover, Eric? What do you think down the road? Anything? Oh, right? Genres? What kind of genres well, are you into? Well, well, certainly Spartacus, if for nothing else that uh, Dalton Trumbo, his thoughts on the script. <laughs> uh, that alone is pretty well worth it, I think. Yeah. How about you, Bruce? What what kind of physical media do you want to cover down the road? Any any uh, Blu-rays or DVDs that come out to, in your head? Maybe I'm thinking I, you're a Shot Factory guy. I know that. Oh, for sure. Any like that, any of that stuff where they kind of bring back, like we talked about, you know, Alone in the Dark recently. Any kind of a weird like revival or remastering of some old kind of lost B movie. I love that kind of stuff. Or something like, um, you know, like Possession, which just got reintroduced to the world here in the last month, and I think will probably be making an appearance again on 4K restoration and Blu-ray and all that stuff. So it'll be very interesting to see the world kind of catch up to that movie again. I also kind of want to, because we were talking about this with the physical media, like uh, not just the movie itself, but like the special features and the and the stuff that goes along with it. I wonder if anyone listening has any recommendations as far as like, a, you know, maybe the movie's great, maybe it sucks, but like the certain special feature is really interesting mm. or it's got a really good commentary on it. You know, so if anyone has any ideas, maybe we check out, you know, search those down. I think that'd be a fun idea. Right. And the thing, very good. And then one of the things with premium services, with these streaming services, they offer a lot of these channels, of course, you know, Criterion channel, a couple of other channels, they offer various special features to go along with their movie. But the problem is what we're getting is we're getting a glut of streaming services, which just show the movie, unless you have something like the Criterion channel or maybe movie Fandor, you're not going to get a lot of good special features from these from these things. And like, remember what Paul Thomas Anderson said? He didn't go to you know his idea of film school was his his film school was listening to the John Sturges director John Sturges's commentary from Bad Day at Black Rock. That's what taught him on how to become a filmmaker. So let's find. I think to your point, Eric, it'll be good for us to actually find special features that are not just featurettes or glorified extended scenes. But what are some of the DVDs or Blu-rays that can be value added for people who want to break into film or people who want to learn or to improve their screenwriting craft or cinephiles who want some really interesting special features that are not found on your various streaming services? So maybe that's something that a job that maybe we can pick up down the road with some of our and, coverage. And, and some of them have like a, you know, the, the, the movie will come out and then you check the special feature and I'll have like a a short of some, uh, you know, some short that filmmaker did that can't be found anywhere other than on that DVD. Yes, Eric. And because me, you and Bruce are such weird individuals, we're going to go down that rabbit hole. I know Bruce, you're not a big fan of the blazing world, but we're going to go into our own various blazing world. We're going to go into our wonderland of special features. And hopefully that'll be very, very interesting. We mentioned Bruce Perky. We mentioned the blazing world, Bruce, let's just talk about it. We're going to end with you. Do you have any insights before we leave? Oh, I'll just leave on the same thing you were just talking about as far as Blu-rays and physical media and stuff. I will add that one of the things I really like, they used to do a lot, I don't know if they do it as much anymore, is when they put weird little Easter eggs into 
the physical media releases too. So for example, I had, there's a, a special feature on Rocky Horror Picture Show where you can watch it in the Wizard of Oz version where it's black and white for part of the movie. Or there might be a weird little thing where they have these little touches where you can add extra like rabbit holes you can go down. So I would say that's another thing where it actually becomes its own thing. By having the physical media, you actually have something above and beyond the movie itself. That's what we have to find. That's what we have to find. Okay, that's we have a, a new mission along with uh, 20 films per week we have to watch for Find Your Film. It's all, all good and fun. And we will see you. Hopefully, you know what? Also, tell us what you think of the interviews that you're going to listen to with Scott Atkins and Jim Cummings, coordinated and done by Eric Holmes. Please email us and tell us how great of an interviewer Eric Holmes is. If you really hate his interviewing style, well, there's nothing you can do about it because you've had to deal with my interviewing style and he's a much better interview more than me. So you know what? You're going to get a lot, a bigger dose of Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky down the road. Who's, who are we going to interview next, Bruce? Come on. What's, you used to be on a big interviewing run. You've just been so busy. You being busy with life and all. Are you going to, are you going to take up the mantle and start interviewing people down the road too? Huh? I will. I'm thinking about it. I've got something in the works. Yeah. Kirk Wise, the director, or maybe the director of the Heart of Champions. Can I set that up for yes. you right now? Yeah. Is it? Blazing it World. Carlson, I think, wait, wait. Yeah. Carlson Young. No. Carlson Young is actually on the horn. You want to talk to her? A little bit? No, it's going to be Michael Mailer was the heart of champions. And what I'm going to say is this I'm going to say, I'm going to start the interview like this. <clears throat> Michael, were you mailing her it in? Okay. With that, folks, we will see you next week on Find Your Film. <laughs>